Hello, and welcome to Christians in Mental Health. I am Rachel. And I am Will. And um, we are, this is our third episode, and we're coming to you from Hilton Head Island Providence Church. And I am a clinical psychologist um, with 22 years of therapy experience. And at this point, I've seen about 10 or 12,000 people. So I'm just sharing some basic information I've learned and trends I've seen in people and hopefully some helpful tips as you kind of navigate mental health. And again, we decided to do this podcast because we know people are struggling a little bit after a worldwide pandemic and the Ukraine and on and on and on. And so we really take that seriously and want to try to give you some resources. So Will, for your generation, 35 and younger, what do you think is their number one mental health complaint? Well, I would assume it is too much stress and or anxiety. Bing, 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 bing. So most people often think that therapists deal the most with depression, but we actually don't see depression all that much in our office. And I think it's because a lot of depressed people do not pursue services. But by far over my 22 years, I would say 75 to 85% of the clients that come in my office are dealing with anxiety. And we know from lots of studies that anxiety has increased persistently in the United States and the Western world since the 1950s. And studies show that the last 10 years, it has pretty much shot through the roof. Um, so let's talk a little bit about anxiety. I think there's two really interesting ways to come at this. And one is a historical perspective. So um, in the 1950s, when television first came out, you know, they were going to do television to educate people like opera and Latin and all that kind of stuff. And then they started doing shows like Howdy Doody and they were super popular. So someone thought, how can we advertise to kids to get them to buy stuff? So they brought in a famous psychologist and said, look at how you think you can get kids to kind of nag their parents to buy things. And so this psychologist did studies on kids and he found out if he could raise their anxiety enough, like why does that little boy have that toy and I don't, or I really want that doll, or I really want that breakfast cereal, they would run and nag their parents to get it. So he kind of studied what level of anxiety did he have to create to sell that product? Well, as you can imagine, it worked brilliantly. And so they decided to then use it on adults. And so think about the advertisements you see all around you. Like, are you getting too old? Do you have too many wrinkles on your face? Why are your teeth not white enough? You know, just all over the place. In the last 70 years, we have been surrounded by industries who want to make us anxious because they make money off of it. So when we look at anxiety, that's just the um, environment that we live in as modern people. Then secondly, let's look at anxiety from a biological standpoint. So that's a historical. This is the biological. So we were beautifully created with anxiety in us to help us. So we here in South Carolina, believe it or not, live with alligators, especially in Hilton Head. Oh, yeah. So our bodies were created by God that if we see an alligator a whole system turns on in our body, a sympathetic nervous system. And that means that my eyes dilate so I can see more clearly. I start breathing more shallowly so that I can run faster and the blood pumps through my body faster so my legs can move faster and my muscles like tighten so that I can run as fast as I can to get away from that danger. So that is the whole anxiety system and it was really made for our benefit. 
Then when we get away from the danger from the alligator, the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and calms all that down and turns it off and we go back to normal. But when you live with chronic anxiety, so worry in an environment that wants to make you anxious and in a, you know in a social media environment that's constantly telling you other people have a better life than you what happens is that sympathetic nervous system never gets completely turned off so we can see that the the symptoms of anxiety that we often see are tied to that flight response so migraine headaches or headaches right that's because our eyes are dilated our blood is pumping too fast People say, I feel dizzy or lightheaded. That's because you're not breathing as deeply or you're breathing more shallowly and quickly. Body aches, stomach problems, because when you're, when you're in the flight, your stomach stops digesting food so you can run faster. So all those anxiety symptoms are very much part of the sympathetic and parasympathetic system that was actually put in place to benefit us. But now we've kept it on at like a 25 or 30% level for so long that it's actually making us sick and anxious. So Will, of those two approaches, historical and biological, which one surprises you the most? Mm. I, I mean, historical doesn't 100% surprise me. Uh, if you consider so many kids today are depressed or anxious just because of social media, which is yes. like that turned up to 11 because... You know, there's just no regulation. Say what you want about TV ads manipulating kids. There's at least some regulation going on there. Absolutely. And now here's what's interesting when you say that is studies have found that in about the last 10 years, young people's anxiety levels have gone up much higher than were predicted from the previous patterns. No one can say that's because of the release of the iPhone, but it happened in the same year. Yeah. And so if you think about it previously, the internet and social media, you had to sit at a desktop to look at it. Now we're carrying it around with us in our pocket every moment of the day. That would also, 2007 would have been the year like Facebook started going more mainstream. Yes. So. Yeah. So social media. So we can't... We can't identify that that's the full causation, but they do know from studies that the more hours a day you're on social media, the higher your levels of anxiety and depression, the more hours you're on social media, the less satisfied you are with your own marriage. So wow. there's lots of studies on this. And as I say to people, which is counterintuitive or counterproductive to what I'm saying, you can just Google all these. <laughs> they're very, they're very available. Um, so when you are dealing with anxiety, here are just some steps to help you. First, ask yourself, is this something I should be anxious about? I mean, sometimes it is, right? If you've been in a car accident, if you have a huge test coming up, if your daughter is sick, the fact that you feel anxious is appropriate, right? Our body's responding to a, to a dilemma in the environment. So first of all, I think sometimes we can just go, yeah, this is a temporary anxiety that's just very, very normal. And then I think you can say, let me use the past to help me. Anxious people tend to get very caught in the moment and they're, they're in and their brain starts to go in a circle, circle, circle. And sometimes you just have to go, wait a minute. My last job interview, I was really scared, but it turned out fine. Okay, the last time I had chest pains, my doctor told me it was me just worrying. Maybe that's what it is today, right? So sometimes when we use the past to help us, like, you know what? I got a D minus on a test two years ago and we fixed it afterwards. You know, like we still, I still pass a class. So number one is measure. Maybe this is something it's worth being anxious about and it'll go away. 
Number two, if you have persistent anxiety, use the past to help you. Look at all the good things you have gotten through and the hard things you have gotten through. Next, and again, this might sound silly, but I say to people, go to your worst case scenario. Not something like, you know, the Mars is going to crash into Earth. But let's say, you know, go to your worst case scenario like, okay, I have chest pains and say, what am I most afraid of? And say, if that happened, what would I do? And I think a lot of people get scared to look at the worst case scenario, but sometimes when we look at it, we really go, oh, I don't like that, but I could handle it. Now, this is a silly example, but my husband and I bought our first house in our 30s, and um, I felt really weird for the first six months. I just was kind of worrying and thinking. And I finally said to myself, what are you worried about? And I thought, what if we can't over time afford this house, right? That's That was my worst case scenario. And then I thought, well, I wouldn't like that, but we would just sell it and move somewhere smaller. And once I let myself see that and go, yeah, I wouldn't like that, but I could do it. Um, then you can kind of find a plan to cope and you'll probably never have to use that plan. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, just to use my own anecdote, so I used to work at a, a TV station for, you know, three years. And one time, you know, because you have to hit a button to go to break, I hit the button, but the brake didn't roll. And I didn't notice, even though there was a flashing red light, that was my brain on autopilot. And I accidentally took an anchor, as we were saying, up, saying one of the parts of our viewing area is hell on air. <laughs> and nobody noticed until after the show, which I was grateful about, so no one was freaking out. But that was a Friday night. So I had the whole weekend to worry about what was going on. And I guess by Sunday afternoon, I was kind of, I guess the worst case scenario is I get fired and have to find a job somewhere else. But at that point, you know, we were two and a half, almost two years into the COVID news. Maybe I was kind of ready to leave that anyway. So that kind of spurred me coming to Providence in its own way. So that's a good example, like where people would say, okay, so you spent that whole weekend worrying like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And you said to yourself, or hopefully, you know, my worst case scenario is they fire me. Now, some people would say like, well, that's a horrible worst case scenario. But then you look and say, but I'm employable. I have a skill set. I have family that can help me. So like, it's not something you want to have happened, but you really break that down and say, I wouldn't like this, but I'm employable. Um, you were already driving Uber. You probably could have made more driving Uber yeah, if 40 I had, hours a week. And I pounded away at it, absolutely. Yes, and you had family who could help you. So that's where you really break down and say, I don't want that to happen, but if it what did, I could help. And that's where like anxiety really it helps you if you say, let me go to the worst case scenario. Now, a great metaphor for this. Um, Sigmund Freud, this is a modernized version. Now, he was pretty wacky, but he had a few things that were pretty good. And so I'm going to give a modernized version of what he thought anxiety was. Talking about Freud on the Mother-Son Mental Health Podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Sorry. <laughs> um, so think of anxiety this way, that often anxiety is like trying to hold a beach ball underwater. And anybody who's done that, right, a, an inflatable beach ball, it's very hard to do because the beach ball wants to pop up. Now, what most people think is making them anxious is whatever that beach ball is, memories, um, things they regret, sin, bad relationships, money, trouble, whatever. And so they think what's bothering them is the beach ball. But what Freud said is it's really the effort of trying to hold the beach ball underwater. 
that that's what's making you anxious. And if you could just let it pop up and deal with it, you would actually do much better. Hmm. Um, You know, and so I think that what's interesting in scripture is that the number of times that Jesus says, be anxious for nothing, do not worry, consider the lilies of the field. They neither, you know, sow or reap and still they are dressed as the most glorious thing in creation. So I don't think God thinks anxiety or worry is a sin. I think he knows we go through it. Um, But he's saying there's a bigger story here. And if you go back to our first week podcast about worldview, if we believe there is a bigger story than what we can see day to day, that there's really a cosmic story in which our story is interlaced, it is a lot easier to believe that even our hardship and worries have a purpose. And, you know, when we have that bigger purpose, we actually do much better dealing with anxiety. Um, They actually know from lots of studies, there's a great Harvard study from 20, I think 2015 or 2017, that actually shows that kids who attend church every week have much lower rates of anxiety or depression because they believe their life has meaning and purpose beyond what they can see. And so anxiety is a huge topic. We could talk about it for weeks, but that's just kind of some places to start in dealing with anxiety. Yes, I, I would agree. And to go to your thing about purpose for a second, I would definitely say the people I know who are always a little more nihilistic about life tended to either be more anxious or just did not handle great levels of stress well. Absolutely. And I think the interesting thing, we'll just go a little intellectual here, I think because I hear a lot of different um, theories of life going through my office. I think the interesting thing about kind of nihilistic people that just say none of this matters is the problem is what if we all believed that, right? Then really it wouldn't matter what happened in the Ukraine. It wouldn't matter, right? Do you know what I mean? So like what's really interesting to me about a biblical worldview is that in the first chat or you know, the first two chapters of the Bible, we learn that everyone is of value because they are made in the image of God. And so our value comes from outside us. We don't have to earn it. And if I believe that about everybody else, I also have to believe it about myself. So that takes a lot of my anxiety away because I don't have to prove my value. I've said that before, that as Christians, most people take non-Christians, but also unfortunately a lot of Christians are born at the starting line of life. And the whole race of life is them trying to get the finish line, proving their worth. So if that's through money or the college they go to or what their kids do, you know, they're, they're chasing that their whole life. Now, the problem is, let's say it's wealth. You're going to prove your worth through wealth and you get a million dollars. Well, the guy next to you has four million. So does that mean he's worth more for you? One of the great cures for anxiety or safety nets for anxiety is that Christians are really born at the finish line, right? We are made in the image of God, so our value comes from something outside us, and no one can ever change that. So then you don't have to run that race. You just spend the rest of your life living in response to the fact that your value is already established. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really important thing when you look at worldview that just because someone has a worldview that sounds good, I also, I always say, multiply that to everyone in the world. What would happen if everyone in the world believed that? Absolutely. That's a great thing about the biblical worldview is that God is giving us a pattern for life that promotes human flourishing you know, that promotes flourishing for everyone. And um, so I'm not ashamed to say if you took the biblical worldview and multiplied it times 7 billion people, 
would be great. I totally agree. <laughs> right. All right. So thank you for this week. And please, if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover, please email us at... Yes, at will at providencehhi.org. Uh, you'll find that in the, the description along with links to our Stephen Ministers if you would like some more help, links to our social medias, uh, links to our live stream. Join us uh, live and in person every Sunday at 8 and 1030 if you would really like to join us or on our live streams on Facebook and YouTube. And if you're anxious to hear more Providence podcasts, we are now podcasting our sermons and our very own Kate Keep is going through the book of Psalms all summer. So we hope you enjoy that. Thanks so much and have a great week.